And so on Sunday mornings, during September and October, we're looking together at this collection of psalms known as the Psalms of Ascent. They're a distinct collection of songs within the bigger book of psalms in the Old Testament. Songs sung by God's people as they journeyed up together, hence of ascent, towards Jerusalem as they go on pilgrimage for one of their festivals. Now, all 15 of the psalms are generally quite short. They're designed to be easy for everyone to remember so that they can be used by the whole community, including the children and young people amongst them, who at times, as they journey up towards Jerusalem, might have been tired, not in the mood, and engaging in whatever the equivalent of can I have my iPad was 2,000 years ago. But at other times might have been the most enthusiastic voices in the community as they walk together, like at the wedding reception when the children are on the dance floor long before everyone's had a glass of wine and is ready to join them. So we're not quite sure, except we do know that the children were there and that their voices were included. And part of these songs being short and easy to remember would have helped them engage. And so this morning in particular, we're looking at Psalm 131, which is the 12th in this little collection of psalms. And it's a song that is filled with hope and trust in God. It's given to us as the voice of one person, but it's to be spoken in the presence of the community. It begins with one person's testimony, but it ends with the whole of God's people being encouraged to put their hope in God. This testimony, this story, this one voice at the start paints a contrast for us between the self that is proud and arrogant with a soul that is patient and composed. And they then aptly, for a dedication perhaps, use the metaphor of a parent and child to help us understand this dynamic of contentment and peace and humility. Now, it's probably worth acknowledging that to many of us, that might seem a rather optimistic and unrealistic picture of how it works with parents and children. Just the word weaning has me shuddering at memories. But children are often pointed to as an example for us throughout the Bible. And it's interesting how our assumption in the 21st century is that the children are to follow our example. It's important that we set a good example for the children. And instead, what the Bible often tells us is to look to the children, for they are our example, not the other way around. Nor is it always the easiest of pictures and metaphors for us to engage with, to have this idea of God as a parent being held up as the best example of love and care. The Archbishop of York, you may have seen, got into trouble a few weeks ago for suggesting that this might be problematic for some people. But it's true, because not all of us have had loving, nurturing parents. But that is the sort of care and support the psalm is talking about. And I think what we're being invited to consider in this song of the people 
is to consider here a life where this child is growing and progressing well, with a parent who is looking after them, taking care of them, and helping them grow. And then to take that understanding and to think of how God cares for us and helps us grow. And that we can face the future, whatever it holds, in the knowledge that God is with us and always willing to help us. And that often makes a difference, doesn't it? If you know that you're going to be loved regardless of what happens with this risk that you might take or that chance you might explore, it makes it easier to know that you have got this bedrock, this foundation of love and support. Now the warning of the song, and there is one, is that if we understand that love, that depth of love from God, and we are content knowing it, then we should and must do all we can to avoid being arrogant, proud, and self-absorbed. This is, in fact, a recurring theme in the teaching given to God's people. You see, the hope and contentment the psalm speaks of and speaks about is to be found in the character and nature of God and not in anything or anyone else. You see, when we achieve something, when we're safe, when we're doing well, the temptation is to talk and to think like we've made it, that we're the best, that we have done this all on our own, when the truth is seldom that simple. So much of what we're blessed with is not because we're incredibly so much better than somebody else on the other side of the world who doesn't have the blessings and privileges we do. We were just born into a place, into a setting where these things were possible for us and they haven't been possible for them. Equally, we own the truth that it takes a village to raise a child. And for each of us, the varying combinations of parents and family, and carers, and friends, and social workers, and teachers, and sports coaches, and neighbours, and youth leaders, help us to grow and to thrive. So many different people input into the people that we become. And that'll be true for Jonathan too. And we see this morning the wonderful network of love and support that he already has. And we know the difference that that makes, and we pray that network will only grow and deepen and expand. But it's wisdom to know and acknowledge that not all of our own hype is always worth listening to. As we come to our New Testament reading, Jesus is having dinner at the home of one of the religious leaders of the time, and while he's there, he observes the behaviour of the host and of the other guests. And you know, sometimes you really find out about people in the small things, don't you? When they think nobody's watching and paying attention, you find out what someone's character is really like. And in this instance, Jesus has just noticed where people walk in and sit down. And the suggestion seems to be that it's better to live humbly and to be raised up than the other way around. The encouragement is not to walk in to the dinner party and assume that the seat of honour is for you. It's another encouragement for us to live humbly and not be arrogant, to think about others and their place at the table. Now, of course, it's not impossible that the people Jesus is talking to might take that little message and turn the system around 
so that you deliberately seek out the least important seat so that you might be praised and promoted. You could try to play the system. You can almost imagine a cartoon scene of people scrambling to get the seats in the theatre that are behind the pillars and the seats at the table with wobbly chairs because they will somehow be exalted if they do. And that is to miss the point. It's not about trying to game the system. Jesus isn't giving you a cheat code. But instead, he's encouraging us to think and not to be arrogant. He doesn't give us a divinely approved way of getting ahead, but instead to help us understand what it means to live a life that honours other people. And Jesus lived this out. It isn't just theory. This is the Son of God in whom the whole of creation holds together, and yet he's born in a stable. He never accumulates material wealth. He refuses to take on religious or political power. And at the culmination of all his conversations and all his teaching and all the miracles, he dies a horrendous death on the cross, dying for our sins, for our pride, for our arrogance and our self-absorption, showing us how far God's love would go in order to help and rescue us. This is something we really couldn't do for ourselves, however accomplished we may be. But it's a gift that God gives to us. And because of that death and because of the resurrection, there will always be hope for the future. And death and misery and pain will never have the last word. And when he was trying to explain all of this to some of the very first Christians 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to them encouraging them to look to Jesus' example. And in that letter he said this, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul points us to Jesus. If we want to understand what it means to live as God's people, to live well in this life, Paul says you have to look to Jesus. And Jesus says we have to look to the children. May the love of God that Jesus displays in his sacrifice on the cross be something that enables us to feel secure and hopeful. May we continue to be inspired by the children that we're privileged to know, those that we have in our church community, learning to trust and to love like they do. For in the words of Matthew's Gospel we read in the dedication part of our service, 
whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. May we never be too proud or too arrogant to welcome and listen to everyone, including all the children. Amen.